Amen. Well, it's great to be in the Lord's house today. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Oh, thank you for that, brother. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin in reading in verse, verse 5, excuse me, once we get there. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. you get there, say, I'm there. All right. Verse 5 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the day. We're thankful for uh, this time to be in your house and uh, God to worship you. I pray that our songs have touched your heart and uh, have been a blessing to you. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today, that you would just take control of everything that's done here. Uh, Please speak through me, guide and direct me to the words to say. And Lord, I pray that you would use the words of your scriptures and use the words that you've laid on my heart uh, to touch those uh, that are here this morning. Instruct us in your ways and strengthen us this week to walk in them. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing through our series on the King's Sermon, which is just the Sermon on the Mount. And we are, uh, we've been looking at Beatitude worship this week. Uh, we looked at it last week, and we'll spend a couple more, more Sundays on Beatitude worship. And uh, really, I, I want to just talk about this Beatitude worship for just a second, because this is something that we're going to see a common theme uh, through the next couple of sermons as we look at this Beatitude Worship, And we may wonder, well, what is beatitude worship and why are you calling it that? Well, the reason is because as we look back at the beatitudes, as we look at the person who is characterized by the beatitudes, we're looking at a person who has been emptied of self. They have poured themselves out. And in doing so, they poured all of their own personal desires all of their own personal preferences, all of their own personal glory, all of those things, they have poured all of that out. They've emptied themselves because they realize there's nothing righteous about them to be concerned with anyway. And instead, the beatitude Christian has been filled with God and His righteousness. And so what we have then is we have a person who is emptied of self and is filled with the Spirit, is filled with God and is walking in His ways. That's what a beatitude person is. In any true worship to God, it must come from that angle. If we come to church hoping to, uh, to get our preferences uh, made for us, if we come in and we expect a certain kind of music or we expect a certain kind of sermon, or we expect a certain kind of feeling, or we expect a certain kind of atmosphere, or, or whatever it is. We come in wanting us. We come in to be catered to us. 
we're not going to truly worship wherever we are. Because worship is not about the worshiper. Worship is about the one we're worshiping. Okay, and so, and so as we come to worship in any act that we do of worship, it all has to be directed towards God. And if we're doing anything in worship, anything that is drawing attention to ourselves, it's not true worship. God does not bless it. He's not pleased with it, and it's not beatitude worship. And so what we want to do is we want to look at beatitude worship. How does one who is characterized by the beatitudes, how is that going to show up in their worship. Now last week we looked at alms, and alms is the gifts, the monetary gifts that we might give to the poor or to those who are in need. But we looked at the principles of, of that giving of alms really applies to any type of giving that we do, whether it's our tithes, whether it's our offerings, whether it's what we give to missions, whether it's any kind of giving that we give. If we're giving and expecting some kind of recognition in return... Let me fill you in on something. God don't bless that. He said, they have their reward. If you're giving or if you're serving God, any act of righteousness that we do, if we're doing it, if you come to church and you do this and you do that, just to be seen by others, you have your reward. You got clapped at. <laughs> and that's it. God doesn't bless that. Now, you can throw tomatoes at me if you want to, but I didn't say it. Jesus did. They have their reward. And the same is true with prayer, and as we're going to find a little bit later, fasting, the same is true with fasting as well. Now, we're breaking the prayer down into two sections because it's too much for us to cover in one sermon. And so we're going to talk about this part of, of prayer today. We're going to talk about the attitude of prayer today. And then next week we're going to go into uh, the model prayer that, that Christ has given us. And sometimes it's referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to look at that and we're going to look at how it fits into this. And so uh, it will be, of course, the same verses. I, I'm hoping to approach it from a little different angle. And so I hope you'll be here next week uh, as we look at uh, the, the verses 9 through 15. On prayer, But anyway, today well, let's go ahead and get started on Beatitude Worship, and we're going to talk about prayer. And uh, let me start off by saying that prayer is a subject uh, that is just as intriguing today as it has ever been. As long as there have been God's people, there has been an interest on how to pray, and on prayer itself. And, uh, you know, public prayer is still an issue that people worry about. You know... If I pray publicly, what are people going to think about what I say? What if I say the wrong words? What if my prayers aren't as good as the guy on the other side of the room's prayers when he prays out loud? You know? And so there's a lot of worry that comes with public prayer. And, and you know, one of the greatest fears that we have is public speaking. And so I, I can see how that would transfer over into public prayer because you are speaking aloud in a public setting. But here's the thing about public prayer. Let, let me uh, illustrate through my own children. At the table, we have always, since they've been young enough to speak, we have always allowed them uh, to lead in prayer at the table. And we take turns, and sometimes it'll be Kylie's turn, sometimes it'll be Josh's turn, sometimes it'll be Taylor's turn. And then I pray, of course, uh, from time to time at the table as well. But I, I've tried to use that setting as a, a training tool to teach them how to pray. And so, uh, like all children, of course, they start praying, and, 
And uh, the first thing, at, at first, this is what they would do. They would get through praying, and they would say a sweet little prayer and things like that, and then they would say amen, and they would look over at me and say, how'd I do? <laughs> and from that age, you know, of course, we would, we would say, well, you, it, it was good. But remember, you're not praying to me, you're praying to God. And so it doesn't matter what I think about your prayer, you, you're talking to God, you know. And so I've always tried to instill that into them, that, that their prayer, when they pray aloud, it, it's not for anybody else who's listening. It's just, it, it's praying aloud. And, uh, and then, of course, as, as they got older, you know, they would have the contest of prayers, you know. Who could pray the best prayer? Who could pray the sweetest prayer? And if anybody ever messed up, if they accidentally uh, stuttered on a word or, or maybe they prayed for the same thing twice or whatever, when they would say amen, the other kids would be like, you said thank you for daddy twice, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and of course, they felt horrible about it, but we would stop them right there. Hey, they weren't praying to you. You should have been praying yourself. <laughs> you know, so don't correct their prayer. That's between them and God. And, and it's true in, in this setting as well, in church. Listen, when people get up to pray in church, if they're praying to God, it doesn't matter if their prayer is like so-and-so's prayer. It doesn't matter if, if, if they say a wrong word, they say a wrong word. Listen, I say wrong words in conversations all the time. Matter of fact, sometimes I, I have trouble finding the right word to say. And I'll say like six words and then finally get to the one I'm trying to use. That's in, in everyday conversation. It happens in prayer too. And, uh, and so it's not a big deal because when I pray, when I pray publicly, I'm not praying so y'all hear, wow, he really prays good. I pray to God and we are praying corporately, which means that you are also supposed to be engaged in prayer with me. And so my prayer in public, when I lead you in prayer, it's not a performance. I, I don't want a piece of paper of critiques after I get through praying because if you're praying yourself, you're not going to be paying attention to what I'm saying anyway. So you might not be happy with my prayer, but if God is, that's all I'm concerned about. And, and that's how it should be. When it, whether we're praying personally, whether we're praying uh, publicly, whatever it is, you know, that, that is something that we need to understand, is that it is supposed to be to God. Now, some of the questions that we have about prayer is, what is the right way to pray? And I've had people ask me several times, and I, I've heard other questions posed uh, by other people. It says, is there any wrong way to pray? Well, yes. Okay, we will say that. There are some wrong ways to pray. But the, the biggest thing in prayer is, of course, it's, it's a conversation between you and God. It's not a conversation between you and your buddy. It's not a conversation between you and your equal. He is God in heaven, and so He must be approached as such. But it is a conversation because even though He is God in heaven, even though He is above all, He wants a relationship with even you. And so it can be personal and it, and it can be, uh, in, in a sense, informal, but we must always keep in mind that we are talking to God. I'm not talking to my honey. I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm not, you know, I am talking to God. And so I, I must approach Him as such. How do I improve my prayer life? And so there's gobs of books written on how to improve your prayer life and how to pray and praying through Scripture and praying in the Spirit and praying all these different things. You'll find all kinds of books on it. And people buy this stuff because they want to know how to pray. And it is a big subject. Matter of fact, Jesus' disciples called Him aside one day and said, Master, teach us to pray. So He did. And, uh, and the prayer that He taught them then is, is almost an exact recitation 
of what we're going to be looking at next week as well. How do I ensure that God will answer my prayers? Now, that's what we really are concerned with, isn't it? Okay, I want to pray right. But even if I say something wrong, what I really want when I get done with prayers, I want my prayer answered. So how do I ensure that my prayers are going to be answered before God? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer that in the opposite direction. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at three prayers that God will not answer. And so if we do the opposite of these, maybe, maybe we'll get a little bit closer to, uh, to a, a prayer that is answered. Let me say this, though. Every prayer, don't mistake me, every prayer is answered. Every prayer is answered. God sometimes says yes. Now, what we say is God didn't answer my prayer when things that we prayed for don't happen. God didn't answer my prayer. Yeah, He did. He just didn't give you an answer you were looking for. Isn't it funny how God is our personal servant that when we ask, we expect Him to do Whatever it is. And the thing is, is that we have to remember, He's not just some helper that we have. He is God in heaven. And if our prayers don't fit in with His will, He's not going to bless it. And so He answers every prayer. He says yes to some. Those that are, are in His will, He answers those with yes. Sometimes He says no, and sometimes He says not right now. You have to wait. But mind me, every prayer is answered. And so let, we need to approach this with that statement. But let's look at three prayers that God will not, uh, that will not respect. It's not prayers that He will not answer. Three prayers that God will not respect. And we'll look through that uh, through these verses. Now, the first prayer that God will not respect is a prayer for applause. God will not respect, now He hears the prayers, He will not respect a prayer that is for applause. And as we look at chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Why? Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. He says, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In verse 6 he says, But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus cont continued to address the attitude and the motives that go behind our prayers to God. The hypocrites that he speaks of here in verse 5 were those who pretended outwardly to be righteous and spiritual. Those who pretended to be righteous and spiritual outwardly, but inwardly were selfish and wicked. Now we, we, there's a whole bunch of Christians that fit in this category, don't they? Because they love to show how righteous and how good and how holy and how godly and all these things that they are. But all that we see come from them is bitterness and anger and and uh, just all this nastiness that pours out from their life. You know what Jesus calls them? Hypocrites. <laughs> because they put a mask on of holiness, but inside they're ugly. Now to them, to these hypocrites that Jesus spoke of, which I believe 
probably is in reference to some of the Pharisees and uh, different religious leaders at the time who were all uh, just, just very corrupt. And maybe not all of them, but the majority were very corrupt. To those that Jesus spoke of, prayer was just another opportunity to give a spiritual performance before all who saw and heard. And so prayer was not about a conversation. Prayer was not about a relationship with God. Prayer was something that they would do so everybody could see. It was a, a, a religious or spiritual performance before all. And so who knows if they ever prayed silently? Who knows if they ever prayed privately? But when they would pray, they made sure everybody saw, that everybody heard, and that everybody cheered. They prayed long, beautiful, theological, impressive prayers. But you see, their heart was set on self. I'm reminded of uh, a Pharisee and a publican. A Pharisees were, they were separate. They were holy. They were righteous. The elite. Oh man, when it came to righteousness and goodness, they had it, according to them. And so a Pharisee showed up to the temple and he went in to pray. And then there was this little publican that came in. Publicans, man, they hated publicans. Publicans were tax collectors and they were crooked. Not only did they collect your tax, but they, they would take more than what you owed to put in their pockets. They were scum, compared, according to the Jews. And I don't think it was an accident that he uses a Pharisee and a publican in this parable. But a Pharisee comes, and a publican comes, and maybe this is something that, you know, uh, God in heaven actually saw, and just pat, you know, and, and Jesus knew about it. Uh, but this Pharisee comes in, and, and he, he sets in to his righteous prayer. Now, they're in the temple, so I'm sure there's crowds gathered around and stuff. And, oh God, I am thankful that I am so good. <laughs> you should be proud to have me, Lord. I mean, I pray, and I fast, and I give to the poor, and I do all these things, and God, I'm so glad that I'm not like this publican over here. Aren't you glad you got me? And on and on and on. But it says that this publican, it says when he fell down, probably nobody even heard his prayer. There's probably nobody that gathered around this publican to listen to what he had to say. He says this publican came in and he was humbled in heart. He says that he fell down and he couldn't even lift his eyes towards heaven. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, I tell you that that publican went home justified. He went home with the respect of God in his prayer. The Pharisee he left just like he came, full of self. Jesus said, when you pray, beatitude people, when you pray, he says, you will not pray like that. You will not be like the hypocrites. Now, he could say this because he's the king. People of my kingdom, when you pray, when you talk to your Father in heaven, you don't pray like the hypocrites do, trying to draw a crowd. They have their reward. 
But it says when you pray, then you pray like this. In verse 6, he says that we are to pray in secret. Verse 6 says, but you, when you pray, enter into your closet. And when you have shut your door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, it does not appear that Jesus is addressing the matter of public prayer. He's not saying that we should never pray publicly. That is not the issue here. But he's simply talking about prayer itself. It appears that in daily prayer, many of the devout Jews would go out into public, and that's where they would pray. I mean, when it was the time of prayer, they would go out where everybody was, and they would set up their shops, and, and you know, hey, everybody come listen to me pray. And, and that was kind of the, uh, the thing that went on. And, uh, and, and so it was, uh, they performed their prayer ritual so everybody can see. I remember I, I went to Israel. I had the, uh, the great opportunity to go there back in 2010. And uh, when I say this, understand what I'm saying. I'm not casting any judgment on, on the person that did this. I don't know them, and I pray that they'll come to know Christ. Uh, this was a Jewish man. And uh, we were, we were uh, in the airport at Frankfurt, Germany. And we were waiting to get on the plane to go to uh, Jerusalem. And so we were waiting there in line. It was a couple hours over, whatever it was. And it got to be a certain time of the day. And the Jewish man, uh, he was an Orthodox Jew. And he took out his, his prayer shawl. He stood up. Uh, he got, uh, we, were all in, we were all in that seating area. I mean, there's probably as many people sitting in that seating area as what we have right here today this morning. And so, uh, you know, he stood up right in front of everybody. I mean, he didn't go off. I mean, just right there, he stood up, put his prayer shawl on, took his, took his book out, and started praying. You know, I've, he was speaking in Hebrew, so I can't repeat it. But, you know, he was, he was just praying, and he prayed aloud, and it went on and on and on. And do you know what everybody was doing? We weren't reading books. We were going. Why does he do that? You know, <laughs> what? All attention was drawn to him. By the way, the Orthodox Jews, their religion, their beliefs, all the stuff that the Orthodox Jews practice and believe, they are the Pharisees. Same beliefs, same everything. Orthodox Jews are, they're just the descendants of the Pharisees that we find in New Testament times. And so, you know, if you've ever seen one get up and do that, I mean, that, that very much is... Uh, almost exactly what you would have seen uh, in the temple all around. People would have uh, been doing the very same thing in public, in front of everybody, not to pray to God, but, but to show religious uh, work. Now, I don't know that guy's heart, and so I, you know, I don't want to, to say that, but I, I'm just giving you an illustration. Now, although we do find godly men in the Bible keeping rigorous uh, prayer schedules, we don't find them making a show of it. I remember David uh, would pray, and I, I believe he talked about praying in the morning and, and at noontime and in the evening. But we never see any evidence that he would go out on the palace porch and, and right in front of everybody just go through his prayer ritual. Da Daniel prayed three times a day. He was told not to. But even when he was told not to, he was found out, but he wasn't found out in public praying so everybody would see. Oh, he was told not to, but look how righteous he is. He's still doing it. It says he went back home. And in his house, he prayed three times a day, and people looked in and saw him. They found him out. But he wasn't doing it publicly. I mean, he kept with prayer. It was rigorous. It was, it was personal prayer that, that he was consistent in, but it was not for public show. Jesus says here, when you pray, go into your closet. 
Now, some have taken this literally, and they've actually dedicated a closet to prayer. They've got a closet in their house. That's where they go pray. I remember when I was a little younger, I think maybe 1920, I read this, and I was like, well, Jesus said pray in a closet. So guess where I went? I went and prayed in a closet. I think I may have been taking it a little too literally, but I went and prayed in a closet. There's nothing wrong with it, but it wasn't exactly, I don't think, what he was saying. Look, this is not the issue. Unless the person, of course, is constantly bragging and telling you about their prayer closet. Because then they're still drawing attention to themselves. The point is that our prayers are to be kept between us and God. And that when it's concerning others, it would be better that we prayed in secret. It's not saying we can never pray in public. It's not saying that we have to go into a closet and shut a door and, and pray there. He's not saying we have, that's how you have to pray. He's saying when, it's, when it comes to others, it ought to be, if, if it's concerning other people, you need to keep it secret. It's between you and God. It's not between you and others. So we have to approach this from the spirit of what, God is, uh, of what Jesus is saying. And, and uh, I know that we don't, we don't have to take it so literally that we actually dedicate a closet in our house to prayer. But, but the point is, is that we pray, uh, we pray between us and God. Now Jesus' teaching, again, is not against public prayer or corporate prayer, but it's, it's on the heart and the focus of prayer. Remember that we, we must take into consideration the spirit of the law or we'll always go from one extreme to the other. I've heard people talk about praying in restaurants. And, uh, you know, my family, we do pray in restaurants. I, I guess I'm drawing attention to that right now. But anyway, we, I, I'm just using that as an illustration. We pray in restaurants. Now, I've heard people say, oh, you should always pray in restaurants. Of course, you should always pray over your food. But what I've seen is I've seen Christians that when it's time for them to pray in the restaurants, they'll all stand up and join hands and, and pray, and, and guess where all the eyes of the restaurant are? They're right on them. And then I've heard some people go all the way on the other side and say, well, Jesus says pray in secret, and so you shouldn't be praying publicly anyway. And so when they go to restaurants, they don't even pray over their food. I think that's just an excuse not to pray before they eat. Dig right in, you know. Our family prays every single time we go to the restaurant. It, I mean, if, I, I think we do. We try to. That's not me. I, I'm not bragging on that. I'm just telling you. But when we go to the restaurant and we pray, what we do is we just, we just bow our heads and pray. We don't ring a bell. Everybody look. Yeah. We just pray. We thank God for the food. We move on. You know? And, and so it's a prayer between our family and God. We're thanking Him for the food. The only, the only food I don't pray over is fast food. Because unless God's going to work a miracle, I don't know how much blessing He's going to be able to do on fast food. Unless I'm going to pray for Him to keep my heart beating after I eat this stuff. Now Jesus is not saying that we should never pray aloud or that no one should ever know that we're praying. That's not the point either. You're going to pray sometimes, people are going to find out. Okay, that's, that's fine. You're going to pray sometimes in the presence of others. We have prayer meetings where people are going to come in and we're all praying. Now, we don't, we don't tell everybody, come in and sit down and, and just pretend like you're doing something else. They pray. And they pray together. But the focus is not on the fact that they're praying. The focus is on them praying to God. You know, I, I mean, it's where the focus is. It's where the heart is in prayer. Paul and Silas were in prison. All night long, it says that they were praying and singing praises to God. 
Now, were they doing it for show? No. They were just joyful in heart. They had peace, even in the midst of all the trials they were in. And they were praying, and the people heard their prayers, they heard their songs, the guard heard their songs, and he came to the Lord as a result of it. And so we, we don't point a finger at Paul and Silas because they prayed publicly, but it's the fact that their, their public prayer, even though they did it and others heard, it was between them and God. It was a point of worship, not of show. The spirit of this command, then, is that our prayers are directed towards God and His kingdom, not on me and my kingdom. That's a prayer that God will respect. But a prayer that's focused on self, a prayer that is focused on applause, God will not respect. As we continue on, God will not respect a prayer that is empty. Look in verse 7. He says, but when you pray, use, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, here are a few interpretations of what vain repetition means. In pagan worship, we know that they would often incorporate chanting or static prayers into their worship. Anybody know what static, what I mean when I say static prayers? If you've ever seen any of the uh, the Indians, when they're dancing around the fires and stuff like that, any of the natives, when they dance around, that, by the way, is pagan worship. I mean, that, that, that is what they're doing. And often that dance is towards their God, and as they're dancing, they're usually doing what? Chanting. And they're saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. We watched a show not too long ago uh, where this guy had gone into one, they, he had been invited into one of these native camps, and, uh, and this was overseas somewhere. This wasn't like... Uh, just South America. I mean, it was over, it was over, I don't know exactly where it was, Africa, somewhere in that area. But these people were all dancing around. They, they went through their, uh, through their rituals and everything, and they started praying, and they started chanting the same thing. I, I, you couldn't understand what they were saying, but they were saying the same thing over again. They started 